Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Chapter 12, verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of God. I'd have you grab a seat now. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. Starting next week, I know I'm in Mark chapter 12, but starting next week, we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, and we will be in the gospel of Mark. I don't even know when we're going to end. We're going to be there a long time. So I'd love for you to just jump in and start reading uh, the gospel of Mark. I'm just glad to see a bunch of you back here after last week. I wasn't sure. I'm not going to lie. Kind of had a a little family chat, and a bunch of you came back, so that's good. That's really good. Um, If you you weren't here and you're not sure what I'm talking about, just go here. Just go listen to it through the podcast, or don't. It's up to you. So, listen, here's the deal. Today we've got uh, Dr. Tim Hayes. He's going to come, and he's going to bring the word. Last week I talked about discipleship, and this week you can see last week the great commission this week it's the great commandment and just so you guys know so so tim back here he and uh, royce moore they get up at we meet at 6 a.m on monday mornings okay we've extended the invitation to some others but 6 a.m is hard okay but these guys show up and they we, we talk through sermons we talk through bible stuff and we talk through hill city and we just really i mean i bounce ideas off of them and and tim and royce are gifts to this church they're gifts to me and i just want to let you know tim He's going to tell you a little bit more about himself, but he, he, he loves Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loves Hill City, and this guy lives this. I think it's important, too, as we, as we look at living the great commandment. That's in just something like for the professionals, and trust me, I'm using professional loosely here. But, like, it's for all of us. It's not, the pa- it's not a pastor's job to do this. It's all of our job. I think you're going to be blessed by what he has to say today. So, Tim. Thanks, Brad. All right, good morning. Good morning. Well, as, uh, as we get situated, I want to tell you guys about uh, this podcast called Planet Money on NPR Radio. And not too long ago, they were talking about the history of light. And so on the podcast, they talk about uh, man's experience with light from the beginning of time until modern day. And they talk about uh, back at the very beginning, uh, man was lighting their caves and their mud dwellings with really anything they could light on fire. But the thing that they chose to light on fire the most was animal fat. And it was gross and it was disgusting. It was costly and really it actually didn't work that well. But that's how it was for thousands of years. There really wasn't too much development, but then kerosene came up and things got a little bit bigger uh, or a little bit brighter, a little bit better. Uh, But then the biggest breakthrough, as you all can imagine, was when Edison invented the light bulb, but it was still uh, complex because a light bulb doesn't do much unless you have a power plant and a power grid. And so it was still complex. And then we get into modern day and the podcast concludes and the concluding remarks uh, by the guys doing the podcast was is we have come a long way we've made a lot of developments but we're still not satisfied with how things are we're still trying to make a better like more efficient 
a, a less expensive light source, a better light bulb. We're still trying to do that. And so if I were to summarize man's experience with light, I would say that from what I learned from this podcast, that it is long, it is drawn out, it is messy, and uh, despite our best efforts, it is unsatisfying. So then I start thinking, man, that's, that's man's experience with light, but what about God's experience with light? So God was also at the beginning, and he, and he wanted light, but his story is a lot shorter. God wanted light, and so he said, let there be light, and there was light, and that's the story. There was the, there was the sun, there was the moon, and there was the stars. And so if I were to summarize God's experience with light, it was short, and it was sweet, and if you've ever looked into a telescope, you know that his story is beautiful, and it is satisfying. So I think if you step back and you look at man's experience with light and God's experience with light, like we can conclude a few things about how man does things and how God does things. And I want us to remember that as we get in our passage today, because today in our passage, Jesus is going to say some simple and some straightforward things. And I want us to fight our tendency as, as people to try to like think that simple needs to be like, like made it better. We like, we need to make it better. Like I wanna fight our tendency to say, hey, maybe if we just made this more complex, if we added something to that, like maybe it would be better, but we would remember that when we do that, it ends up just being a mess. But that we would remember that when God and Jesus says something simple and straightforward, especially in the passage today, it's like when we look into the telescope, what Jesus has to tell us today, it is beautiful and it will satisfy our souls, okay? Can we remember that as we get in the passage? Alrighty, so if you have your Bibles, yes, we are gonna be in Mark 12. This is where it's going to happen. That is our home base this morning. Before we go, yeah, let me just introduce myself uh, just a little, bit, a little bit more. My name's Tim. Uh, my wife is Catherine. We have four kids, and my four kids made me promise to tell you all that we also have uh, a dog. Um, so yeah, we did that. And, um, and, and, and our family has been coming to Hill City from, from day uh, number uh, one, and we've been here ever since. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. Um, but um, I, I, work, I, work for, I work for Mercy Hospital, and my wife works doing pretty much everything else for our family uh, and keeps us going. Um, but we do, we love you. Um, we, we are committed to you guys, and uh, I am honored that I get to be here and worship with you guys this morning uh, as we uh, continue to praise God by looking at God's uh, uh, word. So. Um, so let's, let's come up with the game plan uh, this morning. So Brad kind of told, told where we were last week. He talked about like discipleship and great commandment stuff. Uh, he talked about the, the what, how, the what, how. And then at the very end, he, he popped uh, the hood of this vehicle and he looked underneath the hood and he says, what is going to make this thing uh, have the power that it needs to, to go in the right direction and keep going. And we found out that there was prayer under the hood, all right? And this week we are going to stay uh, underneath the hood of this vehicle. And we're gonna find that in, in addition to prayer, there are a few other things that Jesus tells us that if you are going to be effective as a follower of God uh, and as a group of believers that we gotta have to keep this thing going. And we will see in the great commandment that when you look underneath the hood, Jesus is telling us that we got to know God, we got to love God, and we got to love others. And so if you know God, uh, you love God, and you love others, and, and you're coupling that with, 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 uh, with prayer, man, this thing is going to go in the right direction to the glory of God. So that's where we're at this week. We're underneath the hood, and, uh, and we're going to be in Mark. 
but every once in a while this morning, we are going to step out of the gospel of Mark, and we are going to look at the life of Mark. So, so Mark uh, was this person. His uh, story is recorded in the New Testament, and he's going to be our example this morning. So we're going to look at knowing God, loving God, and loving others in the gospel of Mark, but then to see how that might actually like play out in real life, we are going to look at the life of Mark. This is the guy that probably wrote the gospel of Mark, and he is going to be our example. So I, yeah, I chose to talk about the great commandment in um, the uh, gospel of Mark and to use the life of Mark uh, as a bonus because next week uh, we are going to start, yes, this big journey into the gospel of Mark starting in chapter one. And I hope that this week as a bonus built anticipation for that. Alrighty, all of that is out of the way. Let's get into this thing. Let us dive in. Mark chapter 12. So in this chapter, let's, let's just, let me just give you the, the synopsis here is there is a teacher or a scribe of the law that has uh, come to Jesus and he asked Jesus a relatively simple question and Jesus gives a straightforward answer. Now, when Jesus gives a straightforward answer, you gotta cherish it because that's not always the case. Because sometimes when he answers a question, his uh, answers tend to be a bit complex. He'll tell you this whole long story when you just wanted like a simple answer. Uh, he sometimes will tell you stories about uh, like bridesmaids or sheep or uh, vineyards and like he's in the middle of his story and you're just baffled by like what a shekel of wheat is and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it at all. But here, when the teacher of the law, when the scribe comes and asks this question, this question which is essentially like, hey, like with all of this religious uh, stuff, with all of these religious people, with all of these religious rules, Jesus, if you were to boil it down, if you were to get to the very core, what is the most important? And to that question, Jesus gives an answer and his answer, he makes very plain. He wants to make sure that everybody can understand his answer and that there is no room for misinterpretation. He starts his answer with the identity of God. So he gives this statement from the get-go about who God is. And this is the most important part of his answer. This is the most important part of your life if you call yourself a follower of God. You need to know some things that he says about God's identity. So we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. But he says, based on that, you need to do two things. You need to love God and love others. So let's start at the top and let's go through Let's start in Mark 12, uh, verse 29. It says there, so 28, let's start in 28. Maybe, maybe we'll see where we're gonna start. Yep, we're gonna start in 29. 29, this is where Jesus begins. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is God's identity. This is where Jesus starts. He says, before we do anything else, we got to get this. We got to understand a few things about God. We, under, we need to understand specifically that our Lord, our God is one. What, is, what does that mean? He's saying that God is one that he is one of one, that he is one of a kind, that he is unlike anyone or anything else. At the very base of the believer needs to be this understanding that God is holy, that he is one. And he is the only one that's one. So like 
a long time ago when I was in high school, I started watching the Tour de France. Um, and I, I must have been really bored, but I started watching cycling, but actually also because of this guy named Lance Armstrong. I had been hearing about this guy named Lance Armstrong. And I heard that the year before he had won the Tour de France, and then the year before that, he beat cancer. And so in my mind, this guy is just this epic figure already that is winning the world's like greatest or one of the world's greatest endurances, endurance races. And when he's not doing that in his free time, he's killing testicular cancer. Okay, so he's won the Tour de France and he continues to start uh, like winning these things and he wins seven in total. And over this time, he has the world's attention. Like Nike is endorsing him. He is uh, starting this foundation that has this incredible influence like all over the world. His, um, his motto, Live Strong, is like on all of our t-shirts, it's on our bumper stickers, it is on our wrist. He is on the top of his game, okay? He was on the top until he wasn't. So then there are a few years later, he's on the Oprah show and it all comes, starts tumbling down. We find out that he is doing more performance-enhancing drugs than the entire New York Yankees, and that like all of uh, all of his stuff was was a lie. He wasn't as great and unique as like everybody thought he was. He was just like the rest of us. But I think that man, we need to like take Lance Armstrong's story to heart because we're not that different than Lance Armstrong. We have a tendency to lift ourselves up or other people up or other things up to this top spot. We try to put these things at the top spot, but Jesus here is saying that won't work. That does not happen. And when you try to do that, it will ultimately crash and burn because yes, there is a top spot, but that spot belongs to one person and it's not anybody's spot except God. And that's what we need to know, that God is one. Alrighty? God is not just one when it comes to like one thing. God comes to one is one when it comes to all aspects. Let me tell you a few of those aspects. God is one when it comes to his status and his power. God is preeminent. He is before all things, he is above all things, and he is beyond all things. There is no one above him, there is no one beside him, not you, not me, not Lance Armstrong, not the President of the United States, not any world power, not health, not wealth, not family, not a law degree from Harvard University. Nothing can rival God's oneness when it comes to his status and his power. And we don't even add anything to God. He is self-sufficient. He is self-sustaining. He is God, and he will always be God. God is one when it comes to his status and to his power. I'm not done. God is one. God is one also when it comes to his character. God's character is so dynamic, all right? He can do like, his character does like two things at the same time perfectly well that are almost opposites, okay? God is the lion and he is the lamb. He can perfectly uphold righteousness, but he freely gives grace and mercy. The world will portray him over and over again, but his faithfulness remains unblemished. His beauty and his majesty deserves him a place on the highest throne, but he is not afraid to get dirty, to defend and fight the weak. His wrath is a consuming fire, but somehow, someway in the middle of that, he is still 100% loving. Yeah, God's oneness pertains to his character. 
He is one when it comes to his status and his power, and he is one when it comes to his character. Man, he is God, and it should delight us to call him my God, our God. His oneness is important. It is at the base of all that we do. But there's something else we need to do is, is we don't just remember that. That's not just like at our core, but we need to remember that it needs to be at our core and our base every single day. So there is, um, there was this plate that we had. It was one of our best plates that we had, but we only got it out like once a year on special occasions. And then when we like weren't using it, we put it back uh, in the cupboard. Well, sometimes we treat God's oneness like that, man. We think it's like this special thing that we just get out every once in a while. We remember it or we remember it at the very beginning and then we move on from there. But that's not the way that it was supposed to be, man. Like, yes, God's oneness, it is the best plate that we have. It is the most expensive. It is the most valuable plate that we have. But Jesus wants us to eat off of it every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's something that we do every day, all the time. Man, Jesus is quoting this from the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what the Hebrew kids, that's how they started their school day every single day. They remembered that God's oneness is something that you get out and you remind yourself every single day because that's the base. That's where it all starts. That is God's oneness. But, but again, we, we have a hard time doing that. That's, that's hard. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you all are super Christians. Maybe it's just me. Like, as I go through my day, man, I, I go big chunks of my day without remembering God's oneness. I may go a couple days without remembering God's oneness. And why, why is that? And I thought about it for a, for, a, for a long time, and I'm not sure that I really know exactly why we forget God's oneness. Maybe, maybe for a couple of things. Maybe it's because we wake up in the morning and we start going 110 miles per hour. And so five minutes into the day, we already feel like we're an hour behind. We know that we got to feed our kids three meals that day and 42 snacks, which means we got 45, we got 45 messes we got to clean up and twice as loads of laundry. And then we got a list of clients that we got to go see and when we're done seeing those clients we got another list that we got to call and when we're done with those lists we get this internal like turmoil in our hearts and so then we feel like we need to go find more clients so that we can just go see and then call them more and then we we have this big we have this big paper that we got to do because it's like 30 percent of our grade and we want to do a really good job but then we're checking instagram and we're like man why am I doing this when I really want to be doing this? And then we're coming down with this case of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And then as we're doing all of that, there's this like voice that comes over our shoulder in our ears that says, hey, you'll never be enough. You need to either give up or you need to go faster. But you can't because there's all these lies under your feet. These lies are trying to trip us up. And then you finally get to the end of the day and you're exhausted because there's all the sin and the shame on your shoulders that you've been trying to carry throughout the day. And then, you, and then you go to bed and you're exhausted, but you can't sleep because you're afraid that it's going to begin again the next day. I don't know. Maybe during like all of this, somehow our capacity and our, our reliance uh, to see God's oneness has been diminished. We've been distracted by that. Well, how do we, how do we change that? How does that change? Well, I think it's time that we meet our guy, Mark, and see how it might have been for him and see how he might have viewed God's oneness and see if it can encourage us this morning. So let's step out of the gospel of Mark and uh, let's go to Acts where we meet uh, this guy, the person of Mark. And we're going to see here at the very beginning that he encountered God and he encountered 
uh, part of God's oneness that may have shaped the rest of his time with God. So the first time we, 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 we hear about the person of Mark was in um, the, uh, was in the chapter uh, Acts 12. And uh, we, we barely hear about him in Acts chapter 12. He's actually really not a character in the story, but the Holy Spirit that has inspired all of Scripture makes sure that Mark's name is included in this chapter. He wants the reader to know that, that Mark was there and he heard about what happened. So what happened? So in this chapter, uh, Simon Peter uh, was arrested. And the author of Acts wants to make sure that we know that, um, that Simon uh, Peter wasn't in blue-collar prison. He was in maximum security prison. And he goes into great length to make sure that we know that. Like, he, there were probably way too many guards there that were necessary. They put him in, like, the deep, dark parts of jail. He was chained to the wall, and there was... Uh, a guard on his right and to his left, so he couldn't really even scratch his nose without somebody being in his business. You would think that King Herod, who arrested him, was bringing Jason Bourne into custody, um, but it was just Simon Peter. Meanwhile, there is a prayer meeting that is going on, and they are praying for the release of Simon Peter. And it was a really good prayer meeting because as they're praying, God sends an angel into that deep, dark jail and he wakes Simon Peter up and he says, hey, it's time to go. And the chains fall off. Uh, Simon Peter goes, uh, climbs up out of the jail. He walks into freedom and then it uh, kind of dawns on him, man, I've, I've been freed by this angel. And so then... We pick up in Acts 12, verse 12, and it said, When this had dawned on him, meaning Simon Peter, he, Simon Peter, went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. There's his name for the first time. Where many people had gathered and were praying. So Mark is mentioned here in this story about Simon Peter because this prayer meeting was at Mark's mom's house, all right? So I think there's even a sermon here about how moms can pray and what happens when moms pray. It's a different sermon for a different day, but we're talking about Mark here, and he is included just as just like his name is just included. But again, I think that, well, if I'm honest, I think that Mark probably has had a lot of experience with God up at this point that has shaped his view of God and God's oneness. But when the Holy Spirit is recording his, uh, his story and his testimony in the Bible, this is how the Holy Spirit starts Mark's story, is that he heard about what God did for Simon Peter. And so the story from the Holy Spirit's perspective is this, is that Mark, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Mark knows here at the very beginning is that Mark knows that there is a God that is not afraid to go into the deep, dark places to set the prisoner free. So that's what Mark knows. That's what we know that Mark knows. And so as he knows that, I feel like he is able to extrapolate some things about God's oneness just based on hearing that. He can start asking some questions about God's oneness, which is, is God, if you would send an angel to go deliver Simon Peter from earthly prison, then he can start asking, God, what happens though when you send your son to set us free? And he can start experiencing this, this, this oneness about God, this like, like God's love for sinners. And he can start experiencing this like one unique thing about God called his grace and his mercy. And that's, that's how we, that's like what we know that Mark knows about God's oneness. Well, I think that if there's one thing that we know about God's oneness, man, we, we can pattern off of what Mark knew about God's oneness. Because for sinners, 
if you know one thing about God's oneness, especially for that sinner that is going through this busy day that is trying to, trying to navigate lies and accusations and carrying that sin and shame, through all of that, man, if you know one thing about God's oneness, know that through all of that, God loves you. God loves the sinner. And may we know the oneness of God's grace and mercy through all of that because it is because, because, it is because of God's greatness that in the midst of all of that, that we can enter in to God's fullness of his holiness. In the middle of that, let us remember that right at just the right time, God delivered us from that because of his grace and mercy. And we can get into his oneness. Alrighty. So that's actually, the, that's the main sermon. The rest is, is application. So God's oneness is at the base, but Jesus says there's more. We need to apply our understanding of God's oneness. And so we get into verse 30 and we move on from there. So verse 30, actually going back to Mark chapter 12, is this. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So as Jesus makes this transition from verse 29 to verse 30, it's almost as if he's saying, man, let this, this oneness, let this like, thing that you know about God, like let that go from your brain and let it seep down into your heart and let the knowledge of God and his identity, let it stun and compel your heart to love God. And so he says, I command you to love God. Now, I mean, that, that's awesome. But if I, I'm being honest, at least at the very beginning of they started looking at that, I was like, that's, that's a little weird. Like, is, is, is it even possible for you to command somebody to love? Like, if, if I were to wake my kids up in the mornings and I was like, hey, you guys need to brush your teeth, you need to make your bed, and oh yeah, you need to love me more, all right? That's weird, right? And uh, in fact, I've tried that before. It didn't work. It was weird. They're like, yeah, that's weird. Uh, well, it's weird. It's weird for me. But it's different for God because you got you to you understand too that God doesn't necessarily command us to love him because he wants something from us. You got to understand too that he really wants something for us. He's actually giving like the best fatherly advice. He's saying, I want you guys to love the most valuable thing in the entire universe. This thing that will always satisfy you, that will never let you, let you down and never break your heart. It would be unloving if God told us not to love that, okay? And then he goes, he tells us, he goes, he goes even further. He's like, don't just love God, but, but love him with all that you are. It's one of those things that you go all in about, okay? So you don't love him just part way. You love him with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and all of your strength, everything you give to God. You give him your love of, with everything. So j just like um, just like an F-16 uh, fighter plane like doesn't run on half jet fuel uh, and half chocolate syrup, our affections are not meant to be split between God and this world. And when we choose to do that, we're just torturing ourselves. God says you need to go all in because it's good for you and it delights me when your soul is 100% satisfied by loving me 100%, 100% of the time. Now, if, um, if you're gonna love God like that, you gotta know that like your life is gonna change. So. When you love God like that, you are led into this life that, that loves others. In 1 John chapter 4, it's one of these love chapters in the Bible. And there John is very clear that says, when you love God, you must love others. That's just how it is. And I think that that's kind of what Jesus is saying as he goes into uh, verse 31. In verse 31, of our chapter today in Mark 12, it says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. So um, it's almost as if Jesus is saying one thing leads to the other, because right before that he says, love the Lord your God, and then right after that he says, love, uh, love one another. Like one thing leads to another. And I think that that's kind of how Mark's testimony uh, is. So when we pick up looking at um, Mark, we find him mentioned for the second time in Acts 12, verses 25. And it says there, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So Mark is in uh, Jerusalem, these like ginormous figures in the New Testament, Barnabas and Saul, they were in Antioch. They collect some money and they take the money down to Jerusalem to give to the poor and they give it to the poor. And there they meet Mark and Mark meets them. And after meeting them, Mark decides that he's going to go with them on this missionary journey. So just right before this though, is when we hear Mark for the very first time and we, we hear that uh, that Mark has heard about this amazing thing that God has done for Simon Peter, and presumably his, his heart is softened to God, and, and, and his heart is stirred. And then just a few verses later, uh, after that happens, after he hears about God's oneness, he is willing to leave his home to go minister and love on others. It's almost as if one thing leads to the other. And so Mark goes off on this missionary journey with these guys, and he lives happily ever after, and it's all kumbaya and arts and crafts after that. No, that's not how Mark would put it. Mark is entering into this life of loving others, and he would tell you pretty quickly that loving others, it's not fancy, and it's really, really hard. In Acts 13, verses 5, Mark's story picks up there. It says, When they arrived at Solomon, meaning uh, Saul and Barnabas, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, also called Mark, was with them as their helper. So Mark is on this missionary journey. He is in this life of loving others. He is a helper. He is not this, uh, he's not a leader. He is not the, he's not the lead drummer in the band. He is uh, not, you know, um, he's not casting out demons. He's not uh, performing miracles. He's a helper. And according to church tradition, like what he did as a helper was, is he prepared meals. He like lifted heavy stuff. Uh, he cleaned up around the place. All those jobs that go unrecognized. And rarely does anybody thank somebody for this stuff. Well, they certainly will complain if it's not done. But the thing about Mark is, is that he was a helper, but uh, he did it really, really well. We, we find out, like, from, from Paul um, in the New Testament talking about Mark was, uh, Paul says, you, you know that guy Mark? He helped, and he helped really well. And the kingdom of God was advanced because of the way that he helped. Well, I, I think we can, we have, a, I mean, based on that, we have a lot to learn from Mark, the way that he loved others and was willing to do uh, the little stuff selflessly. I, I know, I know, I, I have a lot to learn from Mark. I know that I, I, uh, I have learned a lot from Mark. Um, I, I told you guys, maybe, maybe or maybe not, I didn't tell you, like, our, our family's been coming to Hill City from, uh, week one of like Hill City. Well, week two, we're coming to church. We're driving to church, and, and my wife asked uh, asked me like, how how would you like to to serve uh, Hill City? And I said, yeah, yeah, I would probably do I'd probably do a lot of things. I I, I would rather not do children's ministry. And um, yeah, I mean, I got four kids. Like uh, my life is children's ministry. Like you know. Um, so she starts laughing, and I'm like, why are you laughing? And she's like, well, I signed us up to do Hill City Kids uh, tonight as helping hands. 
And so I was like, oh, okay, all right, let's do this. So we go up and we do helping hands. I, I, I hand out a few veggie straws. They take some kids to get drinks of water. And so then the service, you know, the gathering's over and we're, we're headed home and Catherine's like, how did it go? And I was like, hey, you know, it's all right. Uh, I'm just glad we don't have to do it again um, for a long time. And uh, she starts laughing again. I'm like, what's, what's up with this laughter? I heard that earlier tonight. And she's like, well, I didn't sign us up for Hill City Kids uh, like just tonight. Like I signed us up for the whole semester. And so that, that, that's when I got a little bit of grumpiness in my heart. Um, some grumpiness that just didn't go away that semester. And so God had to come and he'd had to do some wrestling inside my heart that first semester with Hill City Kids. And if I were to put like that wrestling like into words, into a conversation, this is, this is kind of how it would go. So God, God came to me and he's like, Tim, what's up with all the grumpiness? What, what do you think you're doing here? God says, let me tell you what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm loving on these, these kids and, and I, I'm inviting you to let me love on them through you. The other thing, Tim, that you need to know is that these aren't, these aren't children that are coming into the classroom. These are souls. These are souls that are going to live for eternity. And God was revealing to me that he's like, I want them to live for eternity with me. And I'm going to woo them by loving on them. And again, Tim, you're invited to let me love on them through you. And if you stay here and, and, and you keep doing this uh, for long enough, Tim, you will see a miracle happen. You will see these souls pass from death to life. And so then I stepped back. I was like, all right, God, okay. So you had to go there, all right? If you put it like that, like, what am I gonna say? No, so I, so, so I, I kept with Hill City Kids and I've been doing it ever since. I just can't give it up. Um, because I'm starting to learn, I think what uh, Mark learned and he got more quickly was that, yeah, when you love others, from the worldly perspective, it's not fancy, but you can't look at it from the world's perspective. You gotta look at, at it from God's perspective because from God's perspective, that's actually reality. And when you love others, God was telling me, is that it is, it, is, it is not fancy, it's spectacular. It is miracles. Miracles happen when you love other people because that's the, the conduit that, that God loves them through most of the time. Alrighty? And then it's not just good for their heart. He was telling me that's good for your heart. It creates this intimacy with God when you love other people. People. It's spectacular. It is miraculous. It has eternal purpose. That's why we love other people. It's not fancy. It's those things God was telling me. Alrighty? Well, we still have to work through the fact that, man, loving people is really hard. And Mark had to work through it too. He found that it was really hard. And that was actually harder for, uh, for Mark to look through. And we get uh, some insight into this in Acts 13, 13. From Pamphos, Paul and his companions sailed to, sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So Mark is out uh, on this missionary journey, and he gets to this point, he's like, I'm out, I'm leaving. All righty? But he doesn't just leave, he quits, and he quits because it gets hard. And we get insight into that in Acts 15, 36 through 40. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take them because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they uh, parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So Mark, he leaves his life of loving others on, the, on, on this mission because it was hard. 
and he quit, and Paul was ticked about it. And so uh, Mark goes home, and we really don't hear from Mark for about 10 years. And, um, and honestly, man, I, Mark really shouldn't get like a too bad of a rap for quitting because um, I think we probably would have quit too. Um, especially when you consider passages uh, like in 2 Corinthians where we kind of we learn about how uh, life, the life of loving others is when you're doing it with, uh, with Paul. It's, it's really hard. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, this is how Paul describes the life of loving others when you're with Paul. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from bandits. I have been in danger, and I could read it on and on and on. It was hard. And so Paul quit, and he went home. So I don't, I don't know how, like, this, like, meets us. Like, hopefully we're not, like, ever, like, in danger at sea, uh, or, 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 you know, get the 40 lashes minus one. Hopefully that's not part of our life of loving others, but like this is probably how it like works out more for us. It's, it's, it's hard because, man, when you're loving others, a lot of times they don't love you back, all right? So a lot of times you are pouring into people, but it doesn't come back to you or you're, or you're loving people, you're, you're walking beside them for what seems to be a really long time and you're like, man, why is there not any life change? It's just very slow going. I mean, that's, that's the hard, those are some of those hard things for us about loving other people. But we're going to find out that, it, that it's worth it though. So, so Mark is, uh, he's in Jerusalem, he's at home, he's left uh, the mission field, and he's there. We don't know what he's doing necessarily during this time, but I think we can kind of deduce that, man, during that time, man, there, there, there's still this like, yearning in his heart for, for, for this life of loving others. There's this angst that's going on in there. There's this unsettling in his heart, and I think that because, like, after 10 years or so, Paul forgives him, and he invites him to come back. In 2 Timothy 4.11, this is Paul writing. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And, um, and so he calls for Mark and Mark answers the call. And he gets back into his life of loving others. And I, I don't think it's because he forgot that loving others is hard. I think it's because he started to remember and he started to fully understand that that life is worth it. That's where life really is. And as I'm trying to, um, as I'm trying to like kind of get like, trying to get that and how to try to explain that, this is where my weird mind goes. My weird mind goes to Braveheart, uh, which was this movie. And in this movie, there's this scene where the, the Scottish army is fighting the English army and the Scottish army is completely outmatched. And so the uh, warriors uh, from the Scottish side, they are leaving and they're going home because they know that they're unmatched and it's gonna be hard. And so William Wallace, leader, he gets up on his horse and he's like, where are you guys going? And they say to him like, hey, we're, we're going home. We're not gonna fight that because we're gonna die. We're gonna go home and we're gonna live. And this was his response. He says to them, he's like, yeah, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. But dying in your beds many years from now, he tells them, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day till that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Well, man, I mean, that's like, that's what I kind of think that Jesus and Mark are telling us by loving others. He's like, yeah, no, 
it's gonna be hard. It's not fancy, but like, where else are you going to go? Like, are you going to go home and be by yourself with your stuff? Because that's no life at all. Because if you go there in this life, but definitely in the, in, in the next, you will see that life and have regret. He's like, I'm inviting you into the fullness of life. The fullness of life is this life that loves God by loving others. That is a life that is worth it. And I think that that is why we are called to love others as we love ourselves. Because God is inviting us into a life that is So if you are serving communion, I would ask that you would get, uh, get to your spots. And uh, for the rest of us, let me tell you how communion works, that we will have these stations up front. We will have some stations in the balcony. And uh, when I walk off stage, I will d dismiss you and uh, we'll form a line. You will take uh, the communion. You don't need to say anything. You can just put out your hands. A word of encouragement will be given to you. Um, and then you can go back to your seat. And, th and this is what I, I want you to kind of think about as, as we end here and, and we take communion. I, I, want you to, um, I want you to do some confession. I want you to look at your heart and I want you to say, man, am I living this life uh, that God has called me to live, which is to love others?